Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is for customer service only and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Ng Associates, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marvert, a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 20 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm also a Smart Investor Pro with Mr. Dave Ramsey, and I have an MBA in finance and been helping corporations and individuals for over 20 years. Yeah, we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Um, we're up every uh, week on Friday afternoon, our podcast on uh, moneymd.net and iTunes. Yeah, you can also go to the website, moneymd.net. We have the uh, link on the right-hand side to go to the podcast website. And we have uh, past shows there. We have them categorized by different topics, so uh, make it pretty easy to listen to. Yeah, exactly. And do check us out on our website. You can email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. Um, You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, I think we have an awesome show lineup today. Um, You know, but before we get into that, I mean, what an incredible finish to the Super Bowl. Oh, that was that was amazing. It was probably the uh, probably one of the best games I've ever seen. It really was. from a comeback standpoint. It was. I mean, I thought Atlanta had that wrapped up, as everybody did, Mm. and it was like a different team showed up in the fourth quarter. They couldn't do anything right, and, and, uh, you know, Tom Brady couldn't do anything wrong. Yeah, you get, when they won that, the, the coin toss in overtime, I'm like, it's over. Yeah. Because, you know, Atlanta couldn't stop them at the end. They couldn't stop them. I felt so bad for Atlanta. The owner came down on the sideline. I mean, they were preparing for victory, and, man, it uh, it changed. It was unbelievable how it changed, and they just literally, if anything had gone their way, if they had just made yeah, a just, field goal, or, yep. if they'd stopped one of those, those two-point conversions, anything at all, they would have won yeah, the game. Yeah, they didn't do it at all. They, 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 did, they had like eight opportunities for one thing. And uh, I think Brady is probably the greatest of all time. I think you have to put I, him have, at the top of the you list. You have to give him that, that credit. I mean, I'm I a think. Montana fan. I used to love watching him win San Francisco. Yeah. But, man, what Brady has done is is truly incredible. It was amazing. It was about like Deshaun Watson, you know, winning the uh, national championship. I don't wasn't remember it? that game. Clemson, I don't know what you're talking about. Everything has to come back to football with you. You <laughs> need to amazing. stay on topic. We were it's on Super Bowl. It's amazing how the parallels we saw between <laughs> Super Bowl and Clemson winning the national championship. In mm. football, but uh, anyway, we won't go there, well, John. Not... Uh, we won't mention the fact that Clemson was there twice and, <laughs> and won the national championship. For yeah, the first I don't time remember. such a long years. time ago. Yeah, yeah, it was. It but was. but was. back to topic here. Back to topic. We do have a great show lineup for the day. In fact, and we're going to talk about the seven traits of the wealthy have in common. Um, and this is really interesting, John, because, you know, we see a lot of wealthy people because <clears throat> mm-hmm. we're in this business mm-hmm. of uh, financial planning and investment management. And, you know, they do have a lot of these things that come out of a CNN article are absolutely true because we see that a lot. I mean, there are a lot of things in common with people that that really accumulate a lot of wealth and are successful. Yeah, it is. And uh, some of them will surprise you. They I will. Some of them are pretty straightforward, but um, that's a that's a great topic, and we're going to follow that up with a, an article at a bank rate um, about the worst 
home fixes for your money. So we hear we talk to people a lot of times that are moving, and they ask us their opinion on should I put money into this, should I put money into yep. that, and you know a lot of them don't pay off, and they're not a good trade off. And and um, so this goes through some specific examples of of where you do recoup your money and where you don't. Yeah, and I think this is interesting because it's a little <clears throat> counterintuitive. The things that you might think are the number one place you should put money in a house. Um, they're also some of the most expensive areas to put money yeah. in the house. So it, it's it's interesting list. And so I, I look forward to talking about that because I'm somewhat of a fix-it-up boss mm-hmm. myself. There you um, go. So very good. But we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the Congressional Budget Office, also known as the CBO. And it's talking about the national debt, Steve. And, um, you know, the U.S. Uh, US's national debt gets a lot of press it's pretty high. Uh, continues to grow and increase um, every single year. It's about 106 percent of the size of our economy, um, but that's not unprecedented. It's it's been that high back in 1945. It was about 115 percent. Uh, it did drop significantly. Um, you know, as you went through World War II, there were a lot of production that's and right. manufacturing dropped down to 67 percent. But um, you know, there are some parallels. Um, hopefully, the economy will start to grow, and that deficit and the debt levels will uh, will go down similarly. Now that we were talking about earlier, that does include some of the Social Security and, and Medicare in there, but it's still a high number. It's a very high number. Yeah, I mean, we have you know maybe. I mean, nineteen trillion dollars of total debt, but if you back out Social Security and Medicare trust fund, maybe it's fourteen and a half trillion dollars. It's still a huge number, and the problem is it's growing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's growing at like a half a trillion dollars a year. The CBO estimates project that that in the next four or five years, it's going to grow to like uh, uh, it'll be our deficit will be about a trillion dollars per year again. Mm-hmm. So we got some real headwinds here. I mean, we do, our, our politicians have to address this. But just like they pointed out back following World War II, you know, growth does make a huge difference. And if we could get the GDP growth back up to 4% as as our current president says he will, um, you know, that would make a big difference. There's no doubt about it. So very interesting fact. Um, Hopefully we can get that on the right track. I agree. So, uh, all right, that leads us up to our first topic here, and that is the seven traits of the wealthy have in common – and, uh, you know, I mean, uh, this is a very interesting article. It's out of CNN Money. Um, and as financial planners, I mean, we have the opportunity to meet and work with a lot of wealthy people. Some of those people I would certainly define as rich. And, you know, there are some common traits to those people, John. And I think it's safe to say, you know, they were all blessed with some great opportunities to capitalize on their talents and their skills. Um, I mean, there are hordes of amazingly talented people, though, in this world who will never be rich. And that's because they don't get the same opportunities. Uh, But then a lot of them also don't have the character traits that we're going to talk about here today necessary to turn those opportunities into lasting wealth. So, you know, that's some of what we're going to talk about here today is, you know, what are those character traits that can turn a series of opportunities into lasting wealth. Yeah, you know, Steve, a lot, uh, most people think that um, rich people inherited their wealth. That's that's kind of the mentality. That's really not true. I mean, it's certainly there's some, some people, many wealthy people, um, that, that uh, did get it, you know, inheritance or gifts. But studies have shown that 80% of wealth doesn't make it to the third generation. So having wealthy parents certainly doesn't mean that you're going to get more um, than one good bite at the apple. So, you know, a lot of times wealth is built and then 
in this generation or the generation before, but it doesn't translate into grandkids is what it boils down to. That's exactly right. I mean, amassing wealth without a trust fund is no easy feat. You know, there there isn't a magic recipe for making millions, but certain ingredients certainly do help. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about here because the majority of people who inherit, say, $500,000, you know, they're going to deploy that money to something that has no lasting gain in a matter of just a few years. And sure, they may have something to show for it at the end, but it probably won't create more lasting wealth. You know, eventually the assets people buy with an inheritance typically will depreciate to nothing, um, like most assets. But but someone who, with the wealth-creating characteristics that we're going to talk about, they'll take that opportunity to create more wealth, and they may eventually turn that 500000 into, say, $5 million dollars. Um, most people might buy just a couple cars, um, a few great vacations, and then pay off an existing mortgage, and then it's gone with possibly nothing lasting to show for it over time. But on the other hand, a person with the characteristics that we're going to talk about here, they'll take that 500000 maybe invest it and start a business, add a lot of sweat equity to it to create a lot more lasting wealth. Um, of course, you know, asked how they got to where they are, we hear phrases from wealthy people like, you know, hard work, education, smart investing, frugality, uh, taking risk, um, and then plain old luck. Those were some of the factors that the ultra high net worth used to describe themselves when they were surveyed by the Spectrum Group that they refer to here in this article. Um, and then there's billionaire moguls like Richard Branson and, and Oprah Winfrey who are highly entrepreneurial and they have great confidence in their ventures. Um, you know, those are just two of the traits, though, that broadly are shared by the self-made rich, according to um, this article. Um, and when they dug in a little deeper, you know, they found that what makes the rich different from the 99 percenters um, is really more than that, though. Um, they asked several wealth experts what similar traits they noticed or attitudes among their clients with a net worth of at least $5 million, <clears throat> and here are some of the things they surfaced. So we'll just go through the list here. Yeah, number one here is um, uh, being an entrepreneur. I mean, going into business is, is really a common path among the wealthy. I mean, there are, there are a lot of doctors and lawyers and corporate executives in the $5 million plus uh, group that were surveyed, um, but those who go on to become business owners tend to even build higher net worth than that. Um, so that's kind of a core, and we do see that. We see we have a lot of business owners as clients. Um, they've yep. done very well. Yeah, being in business, certainly if it works out, you know, that's one of the key ingredients to to eventually making it big. Uh, another one is they're always on the clock, though. You know, the 40-hour work week is like a part-time schedule for many of those uh who have have self-built businesses. Um, a 60 to 80 hour work week is more often the norm, uh, according to their survey. You know, as working vacations uh, were, were kind of part of the ingredient here that they seem to find. And I certainly agree with that. You know, um, I think a true entrepreneur never really puts down their business, um, even when they're on vacation, you know, because they kind of have a passion for it and they're driven and, and that's mm -hmm. kind of a part of who they are. So they're always thinking about it. So I think that's a key ingredient. Um, another on the list here is high energy. Many high net worth individuals have a lot of energy. You know, they don't need much sleep um, reportedly and they enjoy a generally upbeat attitude, according to a psychologist here, James uh, <clears throat> uh, Gottfolch 
who runs the Los Angeles-based uh, psychology for money consultants. The super wealthy also tend to be visionaries, according to uh, psychologists they interviewed here. Um, she describes many of her clients as a force of nature. You know, they see uh, again and again that they have a really great ability to envision possible futures and an amazing ability to focus their efforts and their energy um, once they see a possibility that's out there. Yeah, another uh, uh, characteristic, Steve, is being just extremely confident, kind of having a, a sense of I can do anything. I mean, they're they're open to, to creative ways of achieving their goals. Um, you know, the, the uh, you know they have great confidence in themselves and others, and they firmly believe that the world will accommodate their business ideas. So, just kind of going in with a positive attitude um, right. doesn't always work out. But you know, if you go in with a positive attitude and you come to a roadblock, you go and find a different way around that roadblock. So, uh, just being confident in themselves is key. Yeah, that's right. And they went <laughs> on to say here. I mean, also common uh, though was kind of a narcissistic personality disorder they mm. describe here and that is they think they're special they require excessive admiration they have a high sense of entitlement and a lack of empathy <laughs> for others he says you know that's not a very attractive yeah i don't see that i mean i trait. guess maybe some but i don't see that as a yeah i think you know there are those people sure. obviously out there but but i also see you know those that are very humble and gracious mm -hmm. and uh so i i really think you know, it's spread across the board. Sure. I mean, you have all types of people out there. So, but that's an interesting characteristic. Another one here on the list is discerning. Um, you know, for all the confidence that they have, um, you know, they're not, they know they're not the smartest person in the room on every given issue, um, but they n tend to surround themselves with people who are, which will help them realize their vision. So among business owners, those who are, are best are the ones who move past the sole proprietorship and they kind of have a partnership with others to help expand, expand their enterprises. Um, so they're very discerning and surround themselves with smart, with smart people to help them out. Another characteristic is modest. Um, despite the glamorous Hollywood portrayals of the rich, you know, many multimillionaires live modestly. Uh, most of their richest clients they point out to here, um, have chosen not to bump up their lifestyles in lockstep with their growing wealth. They uh, still wear the old plaid shirts, and at least the men do. And they, they tend <laughs> to live... What are there? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they live well beyond their... below their means. Right. That's the point here. Yeah, that's so, a key just in building wealth in general is not spending everything that you have. Exactly, because so. I don't care how much you make. You can't yeah. spend it. Yeah, you see can. the other side of that. Yeah. Very frequently. Absolutely. Another one here on the list, Steve, is um, being risk tolerant but not impulsive. So anyone who runs a business is, is by nature a risk taker. Um, you know, there's there's no investing swashbucklers among his clients that he says. He says they do have some short-term investments, but tend they really look longer-term um, horizon than most investors. You know, whether they invest in a building or a stock, they stick with it as long as it makes sense to them. And, um, you know, they won't go at all in one bet. They'll they'll spread it out and diversify. But um, they, you do have to take a little bit of risk in order to, to get the rewards. And that doesn't mean it's a crazy off the chart risk but it's a calculated risk like exactly. some people are scared of the stock market because they say you can lose money well obviously that you can lose money but history shows if you're diversified it's turned out pretty well it's 
It know, has. If you have time on your side, then it's a pretty reasonable risk. Yeah, the market has always come <clears throat> back. So if you're well diversified, you know, historically you recover. Mm-hmm. You recover over time. You know, there is always the guy who bets it all on something and gets lucky and then gets out. You always hear those stories. But that's not the recipe for most people. You know, the rich tend to create wealth the old-fashioned way by taking small, measured risks often and sticking with a long-term plan. In fact, I mean, they tend to have the ability to stick with the long-term better than most people, even when it doesn't appear to be working out at first. You might say they have an unusual dose of perseverance. Mm-hmm is the way they put it here. So, okay, so you can't change who you are, but there are a few takeaways here that you can take note of. One is that you have to be willing to take some risks to grow your wealth, just as you just mentioned, John. I mean, you can't sit in CDs and think you're ever going to get really much ahead that way. Also, you have to live well beneath your means and employ your money toward investments that will gain over time, not depreciating assets like a bigger house. And yes, without constant upgrades, your house is a depreciating asset, okay? And then lastly, you have to be discerning and not impulsive with investing your wealth prudently. Um, That means being prudently diversified for growth. So those are kind of the takeaways here. Yep, that's good. Um, That was a good article. And that leads us up here to our next topic. But first, we're going to do the question of the week. Yeah, this has to do with um, CDs. (laughs) Speaking of which. So uh, my mom has uh, about a half a million dollars in cash and some in CDs. And she wants to earn more than a half a percent but wants no risk. Right. Not your mom, but somebody's mom, <laughs> not right? Not my mom. No, okay. Not Good my mom. question of the week. So yeah. any, any recommendations? And, um, you know, if someone has never invested in the stock market um, before, it can be challenging. They've always been in cash and CDs. problem with, with cash and CDs today is you're actually losing money when you compare it against inflation, more exactly. than likely. So um, as you just alluded to, you're not going to build uh, wealth. You're actually going to start losing the purchasing power. So what we, you would usually recommend in this situation is maybe take a piece of it, maybe 50000 maybe 100000 and and have a separate bucket that you invest in a diversified portfolio, maybe 20% in the market, 40% in the market. And, and so you're not real wild and crazy with that money, but you're going to try to make it make more than half a percent. Um, and in order to do that, you have to, to leave it alone and you have to have some time on your side as well. So there are some options out there, but it does take a little bit of uh, risk. Um, taking to, to, to get there. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, another alternative would be to take it all and put it in just a very conservative portfolio, um, similar to what you're talking about, but maybe only have, you know, a portfolio of bonds with maybe 10% or less in in stocks. Mm-hmm. You know, that would do better than CDs, most likely. History says, you know, that bonds will do better, if you, particularly if you have just a touch of, of, um, of equities in there. Um, again, well diversified across a lot of different types of bonds and, and a lot of different types of stocks for the little bit that you have in equities. Um, you know, I mean, we, we've seen some clients do sure. that, and it, it turns out better than CDs. You know, you might make 2 3% a year in today's market doing that. So, um, so yeah, there's some options out there, but you don't want to let your money sit away at a half percent, you know, a significant amount of money. Obviously, your emergency fund, mm-hmm. yeah, Always you keep that. It. Keep that in your in your bank account and your savings account, but you know take your serious money that you have a little more time horizon with, and see if you can get a little better return with it, for sure. So a good question of the week. All right, that leads up to our next topic here, and that is the six worst home fixes 
for the money. Not the best, but the worst ones. Places yeah. you don't want to put your money, right? Yeah, that's right. This uh, this comes from Bankrate and uh, comes from a 2015 remodeling uh, impact report. I mean, that comes from the uh, National Association of of remodeling uh, industries. So this is pretty current data, um, you know, as you're looking at cost and so forth. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about, Steve, when, when they want to, you know, move and they want to put something into the house, should they do it? I mean, a lot of people talk about bathrooms and tricking them out. And, um, you know, professional bathroom remodels are pricey. Um, and um, the resale is not super. So we're going to go through some of these numbers here in a couple minutes. Um, hardwood floors is another um but I was going to say, unless you do it yourself, you unless know, you do, yeah. I did the remodel thing, and I'll talk a little more about that later. But okay. If you do it yourself, you can, you know, you can remodel a bathroom <clears throat> or a kitchen, and and I think it turns out. But you're right; but, it takes a boatload of money if you if you hire somebody. Not, not everybody has a Home Depot in their backyard either, <laughs> with all the tools and the equipment. And you got a little, you got a little bit of knowledge in that area. So True. well, it's got to be something you enjoy a little bit. So, so. we're gonna we're gonna go through the. Um, the six um, items that you get the smallest percentage at resale. And some of these are going to surprise us. So we're going to go ahead and start with number one here. All right. The number one one is the bathroom addition. Yeah, typically this costs around $50,000, they say. Mm. Only 52% of that is recouped Ooh. at resale. Only half. So this is like adding a bathroom, right. Adding yeah. a bathroom, for, you know, from the foundation up, that isn't a project for the faint of heart. Or the shallow of wallet, you know. In their experience, you know, the two most expensive rooms of the house are the bathroom and the kitchen, according to Justin, uh, who's a realtor here, quoted in this article. And the bathroom or the kitchen can really make the sale, he says. But you know, in this this high end market, I mean, people want to feel like they're in a spa, and to add that kind of bathroom, it takes a ton of mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. Having said that. You know, I did this, right, just uh, last year. Um, we had uh, three bathrooms, and I got a quote on getting them totally remodeled mm-hmm. and uh, kind of a facelift for them, and it w- it came in at like $50,000. And this was so for remodeling versus this, this adding. Just remodeling, okay. not adding, remodeling the bathrooms, because people do like to see nice bathrooms when they it's, come in to buy a house. It's really hard to get rid of that orange color. I think that was probably the reason why it was so expensive. Nah, just a little paint, John, but, <laughs> those, you know, I wouldn't ask Those orange tiles, hard. I mean, you know. <laughs> That's right. Well, I ended up doing it myself, and, you know, I saved a ton of money, and, of course, I have those skills. I've done tile work before, yeah. and I kind of enjoy that kind of stuff. So, you know, I knock it out for less than ten grand. But, um, yeah, if you're going to pay somebody to do that kind of work, you know, you're probably not going to get it out at resale. So. Yeah, that's that is uh, that's amazing. That's really expensive. Um, so, so the bathroom addition is probably you know unless you're going to be there for a while. I think that's one of the things. That's if right. you're going to be there for five or seven years and you're going to be able to enjoy it. But I sit down with people that say, hey, I'm going to put in you know, a new bathroom or whatever, and, and we're going to yep. try to sell it. Well, you're not going to get your money out of it. So you're not. you got to be careful with Kitchen's that. Kitchen's the same way. It's crazy. So another one here, Steve, is a Master Suite Edition. Now, this typically costs over $100,000. Master Ouch. Suite Edition. Yeah. So about 53% is recouped. At the resale, and uh, remember those McMansions of the 1990s? I mean, new buyers are really turned off by that. To, to millennials, a larger house just means a lot of space that they have to fill up, um, you know, with furniture, which costs money as well. And right. the same goes for huge master suites. Many buyers are looking 
for some luxury, but not necessarily the size. So, you know, some popular features also included in this are, are, are built-in closets, closet organizers, accent walls, um, coffered ceilings, and so forth. So you want to be careful when you start doing the top two things on the list are bathroom edition and master suite edition. Um, so that can yeah. not, not return the money. That's right. As an aside, they say, you know, lighting sources are sconches. Um, you know, it's the little touches, they say, um, that do make a difference. And those don't cost, obviously, nearly as much. But older generations, especially the ones with money to spend, they want more room. You know, the grander, the better. And size does matter. People want a big ba- uh, bedroom. And they want it connected to a big bathroom, he mm-hmm. says. So it depends on who you're trying to sell the house yeah, to. That's but, right. that's... you know, space space <clears throat> does count. Yeah. Number three here on the list is closet renovation. This is a little bit more, you know, reasonable. A typical cost to renovate a closet is $3,500. Okay. Um, so we're not talking about fifty dollars or $100,000. Only 57% of that is recouped at resale. And obviously organization is vital, but it doesn't come cheap. I mean, you know, $3,500 is still not insignificant. Um you know that's a realistic price from from what the article goes on to say. Um, you know it can be spendy. I mean you can spend a lot of money. Um, you know if you put columns in there and customize it and so forth. And uh, you know closet space is something that people take note of. So it, this may be if you're looking to do something. Um, this may be an item to to take a look at. The bigger the closet, the better. I mean, you know, even so, a great closet probably won't be a major factor in the sale. I think people do look at kitchens and bathrooms typically on that. So right. just want to be careful as you go and, and start socking, you know, putting a lot of money into to homes. So closet renovation, about 57%. Uh, the next one here is bathroom renovation. And uh, this typical cost is 26000 so you get about 58% uh, back. Now, you said 50000 but you had three, I had three, three bathrooms. Three. Some of them were – one of them was real small, but yeah. Still. Yeah, and so buyers love bathrooms. I mean, the more modern and luxurious, the better. And, you know, while a, um, a sumptuous bath may spur a browser to buy, it probably won't garner 100% of what you spend on it. So you got to look at when you're putting that kind of money in there, you're just not going to get it back. You know, if it helps you sell it – then maybe right. it's a reasonable trade-off, but, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, those keys, these kind of the money we're talking about here really are things you need to do for yourself. You know, if you, you, you don't want to spend that kind of money in your house unless you plan to use it for a while and enjoy it, mm-hmm. not if you're getting ready to sell it because you won't get your money back is what they're pointing out here. He says it's like a car, you know. When you roll it off the lot, it's never worth as much as you paid for it. And while you don't want to renovate just to sell, I mean, keeping the house up to date as you live there, I mean, it will pay off at resale time. It'll help pay off at resale time. You know, a dated master bathroom will sit on the market through several price cuts, he says, but updating it costs you, you know, $35,000, dollars and you won't get that money back. So... Yeah, I mean, these are things you don't want to do if you're getting ready to yeah. sell your house. That's and, and, the bottom line. Yeah, that's right. And I think you made a good point about being able to enjoy it. If you can enjoy it for five to seven years, it may make uh, sense. Also, if you have a, um, a smaller house, you know, a $100,000 house, you're probably not going to want to put 40000 into the no, into the, um, into the bathroom or the kitchen or anything for that matter. So uh, you just got to be careful of this. Uh, the next one here on the list is um, new wood frame windows. Typical cost is about 26000 58% is uh, recouped at resale. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, the wood frame windows, uh, they're kind of like roofs. I mean, if everything goes well, you probably don't think about them. But when it comes time to replace them, you need a pile of money. Asking 26000 on a house full of windows is a conservative but realistic estimate 
according to this guy. So you're you're it's going to cost a ton of money. You're not going to get that money back when it comes time to resell it. Yeah, and you can spend a lot more. I mean, they they say estimates of forty to fifty five are not unusual, depending on the kind of uh, windows, and it it will help with um, with bills, you know, with your electricity, sure. but. It's going to be a long payback if you have to, you know, Absolutely. pay forty thousand for these new windows. You can you. put a lot of caulk and a lot of paint on them for that. <laughs> That's right. Amen. Amen. I, I can do that. I've done that. I've done a lot of painting yeah. um, and a lot of caulking over my years. So number six here on the list is a new fiberglass front door. Typically about twenty five hundred bucks. Um, you know, you get about sixty percent recouped. Um, when it comes to resale value, a fiberglass front door might not be your best buy. Um, steel front door costs five hundred thousand, five hundred less, and returns about the same amount. So, really, depending on the maker and the door, um, you know, a wood or steel version could could cost a couple hundred dollars more than a fiberglass. So. Yeah, something that you want to take a look at. I'm not sure, you know, the front door is going to be the selling point. I think a lot yeah. of people look at kitchens and bathrooms as the two things to invest in. But, man, dropping fifty grand and then only getting half of it back. So hmm. let's talk real quick about a couple things you can do to your house that you will get your money back on, right? I mean, number one is paint. Yep. Got to be. I mean, you paint your house, it has that fresh smell, fresh look. Yeah. You know, I, I think number two might be landscaping. Landscaping, I was going to say, it's um, curb appeal. I mean, pretty easy. You spend a few thousand dollars on yep. landscaping, and all of a sudden it looks like a different place when you drive yeah, up. that's right. A lot of people know. will buy those because they're depressed on price. Just and I'd for say those number, two reasons. number three would be flooring. Yeah. You carpet, know, you walk wood. in, you have new carpet, you have new flooring in the kitchen, whatever it is. I mean, that I think you might get your money back on. So so any housing questions, they can call you? Yeah, give me a call. Give me a call. <laughs> I, I love home maintenance stuff, yeah, home, I know. home I can, upgrade I kind tell. of stuff. Yeah. You know, it's it's fun. All right, but uh, so great topic. That leads us up here to our final one, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, um, so home phone, we, we are getting um, a lot of – crank phone calls and quite frankly some of them are um are crude so we're thinking about dropping the home phone we've had it oh, forever wow. wow yeah and we're on the no call list and all that other stuff we pay about 28 bucks a month for it with at&t um it's just one of those things we've been in the house for 13 years just always had it gave it to the doctor's office and so forth but uh so we're i think we're going to drop it and just use the cell phone exclusively how about that yeah well i'll tell you what we did we switched our our home phone to a cell phone okay we kept the same number and so we have a cell phone at home now that we pay ten dollars a month okay. to add it onto our existing plan and we never answer it um we do check the messages on it and um that's all we do we just good. check like and, we, it. and we use it as that's a trash good. phone basically you know because they're always asking for a number right yeah. and you don't want to give your cell phone number out because then you'll start getting all that right. all those crummy calls to yourself yeah exactly so uh so we use that it's ten dollars a month and it's been a good solution and we can put it in our pocket and carry it with us on vacation yeah right still got our home phone with us and the local number very good i like that prescription better than mine (laughs) (laughs) well there you go all right well that's been this week's edition of money md tune in next week for more prescriptions for your financial help do check us on our website moneymd.net email us your questions at info at moneymd.net Give us a call at Richard and Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one.